Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Cutaway Podcast. My name is Leighton Wilson, and I'm here with my my pod partner. Is that is that a term, Phil? Phil, how are it's you? A terrible term. I'm great. Worse now that I've heard but, that. So okay, so maybe not pod partner, but it this this technically was your idea. So what? Uh, wh- why are we here? Um, we're here to upset the viewers the listeners the audience about movie opinions well you know and and i technically agree with that because i think what the world did not need was another movie podcast no okay no uh but but i think that we have something to offer um because today we're gonna be talking about uh not the avant-garde shit you know because uh believe it or not even though we have a podcast i don't think that we're particularly pretentious people i think that we like to have fun at the movies right yeah i mean we're talking about normie shit and uh all of our opinions are going to be terrible um especially layton's here because you know he hates uh, more movies than he likes uh that that's actually not true i i i have problems with movies but i think that i love more movies than i and I can count. I really do. I, he, I have a, a fond relationship. I have relationships with movies that I absolutely adore. Not the Mario movie. Not the Mario movie. Bad That's one. correct. That, that is not. For him. We are not going to be talking about the Mario movie today because no. today we are talking about our top five summer blockbusters. And uh, we do mean top five because, as you'll see, we do have some crossovers within our top fives. And so uh, we were like, let's not do that. We want to talk about 10 movies. We want to give a shout out. To ten summer to ten summer blockbusters that we just absolutely love, mm-hmm. uh, and so we did that, and and so we have our top fives, and it's going to be easy structure. I'm going to give my five. Phil's going to give his five. My four, his four. It's super easy. Uh, but before we get into it, I think we have to address this. Our lists, despite having two films that would be crossovers, are actually very different. In fact, my list. Um, how would you say? It is more like a child's. I think it's more conventional than yours. Mine is more like whenever you think of summer blockbuster, three out of my four would come to mind. While yours, you have uh, really two, you have two movies on here that whenever somebody says summer blockbuster, um, they, they, they do not. <laughs> yeah. See, when I took it as summer blockbuster, I wasn't assuming it was child enjoyment movies. You know, I was saying like, what what was cool in my mind, you know? Which, there's some there's some movies on here that are not normie stuff, and obviously you agree with that because you picked some more generic films. Um, I would yeah, say, yeah, especially my. Uh, well, I think our top twos are very um, very summary, uh, but two of yours are well. Number one, I like your list because uh, one of one of your movies I actively uh, very much dislike. Uh, and, and so let's start with this. Uh, I'll, I'll start with my number five because let's start off with, uh, me being a nice person. Okay. Uh, my number five is inside out. Now this is not the movie that I initially anticipated going for because, uh, as I said, we had some crossovers and I was willing to give up my crossovers. And so naturally inside out would technically be, uh, my number seven, technically Mm -hmm. speaking. Uh, but I really just wanted a, a full on children's movie to be here and and i think inside out while i have problems with it i don't always think it's as as funny as i wish it was uh the message i think is just so important for children the idea that joy is is you know a great part of life but you can only have joy with sadness it's so simple 
But to tell a child that, because mm-hmm. five-year-olds are going to see this movie, you know, and, and they're laughing at Bing Bong. But as soon as Bing Bong fades away, my I was crumbled. And, and, it, and it made me think, do I have a Bing Bong? Did I have an imaginary friend who I do not remember? I mean, you're going to see by my list that I probably didn't have an imaginary friend as a kid. But for this movie... I agree with you 100%. It is a movie that children should see. It's got great messaging. Uh, It's got great animation. I mean, when I saw this film for the first time, which is probably one of the last Disney Pixar films I saw in the theater, and I was you know, pretty astounded by it because kind of during that period, they really started to pick up the animation. They really started to get it down. They had... Um, great casting in the film. Oh yeah, I mean Bill Hader is now a, a big deal. You have lots of SNL people. You have Amy Poehler in yeah, there. Yeah, uh, Mindy Kaling, who obviously uh, not people's favorite in yeah, the midst of a certain uh, yeah. mystery gang project, but yeah. uh, you know she's very good in it. Yeah. Uh, I I just love this movie, and and I can't wait for Inside Out two. I I just like this is a movie that, that I've wanted Inside Out two. It's not that I think Riley is. The most impressively written character of all time. I, I don't think that. But just as a as an avatar for very broad childhood experiences, Riley is great. Yeah, I, I would say my only worry, because I did just see that they uh, announced the second one, is that, I mean, obviously the way Disney and Pixar are going, we're, we're not always trending upwards in the quality of film. But Correct. I have some confidence <laughs> That maybe they'll come out with uh, something good for it, you know. I mean, their their sequel game has not been good. Let's be honest; it's been kind of. It rough. is not. The the Toy Stories are great. Um, Incredibles two people love. I have problems with it, but Incredibles two mm-hmm. people like. But yeah, I agree. Sequels, animated sequels are tough because I think that uh, children's movies are a good children's movie to me puts theme as the number one because mm-hmm. if you want a child to watch something, you want them to learn something, you know. Right. Uh, and and theme is that theme is what you want your your child to you know to take away mm-hmm. whenever they leave the theater and so it's like what can they do now with inside out 2 and that's a great question because you can do so much you know how old is riley going to be if it ages with us because okay so i was 13 when i saw inside out i you know it came out 2015 and you know riley is technically the same ages me i think she's probably maybe she's like 11 in that movie but either way we're very close in age yeah that did come out a while ago and so yeah if inside out similar to how andy grew up with people mm-hmm. in the toy story movies riley kind of more similar to my andy in some ways if it goes in the right direction you know what i'm saying that, that, i mean that's that's a thesis i don't know if we all agree with it but well, well you wouldn't you're, you're older than me i'm um, I'm, I'm much older I, you know, technically, and yes, you're older than Riley, but, uh, and I, and I think I'm older than Riley, but I I see a lot of myself in Riley. I'm not a girl and I don't play hockey. Um, but who likes broccoli on pizza inside out? Great movie. Mm -hmm. That's my number five. I, I don't feel as strongly about it as the other movies on my list, but, uh, as far as children's movies go, which I think is a, a staple of the blockbuster season, I'm down for it. Phil, what is your number five? Oh, Probably the most contentious film on this list. Obviously, he stated how much he hates this film. I do not hate it, but I... He hates it. (laughs) He hates everything to do with the director. I I feel that there's some contention towards uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, which is such an amazing film, an amazing film, which he doesn't agree with, but I'm going to say why. Seeing this film 
in the theater was an incredible experience. And obviously, you know, he films on IMAX. He really goes for the most cinematic you can go, the sound, the quality of picture you're seeing. But I think this film works on another level where his most of his movies don't. His dialogue... Uh, that's my biggest problem with it, but continue. ...is terrible. <laughs> Usually his dialogue is just over the top. I mean, if, you, if you've seen Tenet, it is just... Well, the problem is you can't hear the dialogue, I, I believe. We, yeah. His sound, well, and especially, I mean, for all the viewers that try to watch at home mm-hmm. when you're having to turn up the sound when they're talking, and then you have to quickly turn it back down when the music comes on. Usually Hans it, it's Zimmer embarrassing. It's terrible. score. Yeah, it's terrible. it's terrible. But for Dunkirk, with the lack of dialogue, that he had in that film and with the amazing scenes with Tom Hardy and yeah. the Spitfire. It's, it's very situational. It's so situational. Yeah. The dog fights were amazing to see in the theater. The, the theme of time, I think, works a lot better in this film than in many of the, his other films because obviously Interstellar deals with time. Tenet deals with time. Inception sort of deals with time. Well, Memento is... Memento as well. Yeah. So, but this time really feels like, or this movie feels like it's running on a clock. You're constantly seeing from shot to shot how everybody is suffering through what they're going through, but he's going to disagree. But I think, you know... It's excellent. Okay, so what you said about time, that is why I respect Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is... I love that this movie... Is a blockbuster made over five, I think five twenty-seven million dollars in total worldwide, maybe five hundred twenty-six million. Five twenty-six. Yeah. Okay, so I was a long shot off of that. Mm. Um, uh, I I think a blockbuster being technically a uh, a meditation in time, I guess, just an, an experiment structurally. That that that's the thing. Dunkirk is an experimental film, mm. which to call that a blockbuster, I think, is great. Um, the problem is I do not like the experiment, okay? I, As you said, the, the characters are non-existent, right? And that's that's the thing with, with viewers, right? That's the problem with me. Some people do not care about who they're watching. And I'm not saying that's you, but you're just so taken with the experience that it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, I mean, it is the experience of what they're going through. It's the whole situation of Dunkirk that makes that film what it is. And I agree. I mean, not everybody stands out in that film. Killian Murphy... Definitely, his totally. performance is his fan- entire is story. Fantastic. I think is very good. It's fantastic. Mark Rylance does a good job. Um, the one surprising one was Harry Styles. Just kind of falls into the background, and you just kind of forget he's there, which is probably a good thing considering it's a very good thing his um, other performances and recent films. But you didn't did... love my policeman? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> he's just. When I had heard that he was going to be in that film, I was like, please don't let him be towards the front. But in all of the scenes he was in, it was it was really done well. He was kind of the antagonist to our main character, and he was trying to do the opposite. What what's that main character's name? Well, you're gonna have to remind me. Oh no no because I refuse to rewatch it because I don't care. He okay, hates it. I I like you say the cinematography is great. It looks very good. I love the practicalness. I love that Christopher Nolan is able to just spend a ton of money on things. You know. I, I'm happy for him. He wears a suit. Good for him. You know, I, I think Nolan fanboys in some ways are part of the revitalization of modern cinema, but are also the decay of it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I'm not a Nolan fanboy by any means. I do like some of his films. Um, I love a couple of them. A Dark Knight and Inception, I think, are awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're both good. I think Interstellar is great. 
I think um, I like Tenet, it. Tenet, while there's there's uh, a lot of dialogue in it, I think what it does visually and uh, thematically could be really interesting. But Dunkirk for me works on an emotional level too, especially in that last scene, just with the train scene and the, the when no, the no, stops, I, or? no, I wouldn't even talk about that, especially in the last scene as they're escaping from the harbor, and you have it going back and forth between Mark Rylance and Killy Murphy on the boat, and Tom Hardy. Just as they're converging? As they're converging. As they, okay, yeah, and yeah. then when you have it meet, and you have the plane fall into the sea, it's just, it's incredible. And the score is very good in that moment. The score is amazing. It's incredible. It's incredible. I, I, I love I'll, that scene. I'll especially. tell you the thing that I do love about Dunkirk in terms of Nolan's filmography is um, it's not two and a half hours long. It It's much shorter. Mm-hmm. than many of his films. And I think that's what kind of gets me about Christopher Nolan. That I thought Tenet was over an hour and a half in. And I think I I couldn't take it whenever another hour happened. And Dunkirk, it does not overstay its welcome, no. which I appreciate. No. Mm-hmm. I, I might not really care about it. I, I think this is the difference between me and a lot of film goers is that the veteran experience or just the, the soldier experience is an automatic way to get empathy from your audience it's like oh how do we how do we like a main character well they serve in the military you know and it and it works of course you Mm -hmm. want to root for these people because they're giving up their lives for the country but the movie needed to take an extra step it needed to give them something else something slightly more and it just doesn't do that that was my problem in 1917 that was my problem with the with all of the all quiets on the Western fronts, you know, all of them. I want to get into that. I know, you know. He is not a fan of war movies as, uh, as much as me. Correct. You, yeah. Which, I mean, you, you could tell by my list a little bit, but it is, um, it's just, it's impactful. It's especially just the story of the citizens coming to save their soldiers in the end. I mean, that, and obviously, you know, that's what happened. But the way that Nolan portrays it in the film, and obviously the score does support it. There, it, there's a camaraderie. There's to a that camaraderie. Scene. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it may it's a it's I don't want to say it's a feel good movie, but there is a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense sure. of victory in the end. Whereas in I I don't want to say most of his movies, but you don't get that kind of feeling in a lot of his films I do, compared to this one. That's the thing that I actually really like. Um, I that's a good point. I've never thought about that because I think my favorite ending of a Christopher Nolan movie is in Inception. Whenever they accomplish the the Killian Murphy brain heist, mm-hmm. right? And then they're on the plane and they're not allowed to congratulate each other out loud because that's, Killian Murphy's on the plane. That's a great and scene. so they like smirk at each other yeah. and they kind of like, they just give these like little subtle the smiles. Sun, yeah. And it's like, it's oddly heartwarming. I think that they're the few moments in Christopher Nolan's mm-hmm. filmography that are heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't love the final shot of Inception. Maybe we'll talk about Inception one day. Yeah. Uh, we should just talk about Christopher Nolan because obviously I'm very passionate. Uh, but yes, any, anything else to say about Dunkirk? No, Dunkirk, Dunkirk uh, was much better in my opinion than Leighton Thanks, but I think we'll want to move on to your number four because that'll be an interesting one. Yeah, so my number four... Um, Back to back to the basics, right? Because you know, Phil with Dunkirk. Whenever you think of summer blockbuster, you don't think of Dunkirk. Okay, you don't think of it. Who thinks of that? I guess not. You know, and you love it, so obviously you thought about it. But you're but you're not a normal person, okay? Of course. Um. So my number four is Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back, and I think that this movie is better than some of the some of my later films. In fact, I think Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back might be 
one of the best paced movies of all time. It flies oh, yeah. by. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is so well shot. It is so well structured, especially in, in the, the early the, the part of the movie. Holy shit. The screenplay is yeah. incredible. The early part of the movie really gets you sucked in. And then once you start seeing the battle scenes on Hoth, it is incredible. I mean, Phil Tippett's work on the stop motion for the walkers is just amazing so in scale. Yeah. It, it looks fantastic. And, and also, just, just the way that it sets up the characters, you know, Han is taking responsibility, but not as much as he potentially could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Leia, you know, I, I think Empire Strikes Back has, I, maybe screen time-wise, it might not have the most percent of percentage of action but i i think it has the most action and it mm-hmm. also has the most romance holy crap the scenes with harrison ford and carrie fisher are genuinely romantic it, it's like you feel yeah. that yeah you know i what mean saying? it works it works and there's and there's another thing about this movie that i think works better than a new hope or return of the jedi is that it has a magnitude to the decisions that are made by luke especially i mean when he chooses to leave dagobah yeah, it, and save his friends. It's I a mean, real choice. There is a real choice there where there the consequences are obviously shown and they are terrible versus the first movie and the third movie, which as much as they are great films. The third, the third movie is not very good. <laughs> I like the third movie. I have many problems. I really like the third movie, but... In fact, I think technically in retrospect, uh, the ending of Han being uh, frozen in uh, carbonite is technically does not work because it makes the first act of Return of the Jedi um, absolutely unbearable. But it's okay because the end of Empire Strikes Back is just incredible. Yes. It's probably one of the best endings to a film. Yeah. In terms of the score, so good. it is amazing and, and you can also tell that it's uh, the best of the original trilogy just based on the fact that the special editions didn't touch it there no well the, the, yeah the, that's the, right the cloud right. city did you have some cloud mm-hmm. city stuff mm-hmm. and and you do have some of the kind of uber special effects slightly somewhere yeah. but there is no jedi rock uh <laughs> there is no moss eisley things freaking running around you know slapstick there's, looney tunes yeah, stuff. there's no coruscant in the end of return of the jedi i mean it is it it is so great the fact that it's been untouched is a good point because we don't even want to get into the conversation about all of the horrible changes that have been made to the first and third movie. But another thing I got to see this film in theaters Mm -hmm. in IMAX. Oh, wow. Oh, it was incredible to see in theaters. I mean, just amazing, amazing experience. Yes. I, Empire Strikes Back, it, it consistently surprises me. Like I know I love it, but every time I watch it, I'm just like, holy shit. This yeah. isn't just like a great popcorn movie. It's not a great blockbuster. It's it's just a great movie. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm touched by it. I I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score is incredible. The the you know the asteroid chase and then they go in the it's aliens fantastic. mouth. Fantastic. It's the score during that moment. It like it it's elevating. I, I just I feel good. I feel good yeah. when I watch it. Yeah. I mean, even though the ending really kind of leaves you on a, a sour note because you know Han's it's obviously frozen sad, and, yes. and yeah it's a, it's a sort of a sad ending but, but the characters have taken their place they've taken their place they've been through their respective story arcs and it's just it ends so perfectly and so beautifully i mean it's just there's there's not much i have wrong with the film in, yeah i i think it's uh this and my number one i think are technically perfect movies but the thing that stops me from putting Empire Strikes Back 
as higher up on the list is kind of a um a it's a problem with me i mean i have many problems with myself but um i now think of star wars due to uh, the first star wars movie i saw in theaters was force awakens i was 13 when i saw it and when did those movies come out they came out in december and so now i do feel you know just through my conditioning as a moviegoer Star Wars to me feels more December. It feels more winter to me. And so to call Empire Strikes Back a summer blockbuster, I'm not particularly turning on Empire Strikes Back during the summer. I don't, I know I don't think you feel the same way because you Right. Know, yeah, know. I feel more confident that it really achieves that summer blockbuster status you know because i mean everybody loves it well and it was for you know it, it was the may release of uh 1980 and so obviously it, it's the prime blockbuster it's of that perfect. year it's perfect yeah i i think the whole narrative that the december window is kind of the blockbuster area now you know yeah, because every year one december movie demolishes it i mean yeah. the the avatar movies have you know you know, made their claim December. Aquaman did very well, and obviously the mm-hmm. Star Wars movies have. Yeah. And so now we're having this December ring of blockbusters. And that's the thing with the film industry: uh, blockbusters are year round. Yeah. Uh, the only month where you don't have blockbusters is January. It, it genuinely is. But with February, I think Black Panther coming out in February just said, yeah. you know what, blockbusters, not just this summer, mm-hmm. they're coming out all over Everywhere. the place. And yeah. that's just the thing with oversaturation in the market. And uh, you know, it's a good thing. But it's also a bad thing. But uh, yeah. either way, Empire Strikes Back, you're number four, even though technically I, I think you are you might be the best movie on the list. But just because of my own problems, yeah. summer is a tough word for me, okay? it's I mean, it's, it's a great film. We're talking about Mad Max Fury Road, which is possibly one of the best looking films in the past 10 years, maybe longer. I mean, it is gorgeous to look at. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that Mad Max Fury Road is your number four because this is the first crossover of our list. Yes. Mad Max would be my number three, okay? I I don't have a problem with it. I think this, Whiplash, and The Social Network within the last 15 years are the three most important movies to me. I, I would easily say that. And, and I think Mad Max, I have seen more than than most movies at freshman year of high school uh because you know it came out the summer of my eighth grade year freshman year of high school i would come home and i would turn on mad max for your road i would watch it two times a week i that explains some of I, your personality I know, I know and and so now whenever i think of mad max for your road i i just smile because it's so cool it the music is incredible the fact that it didn't win best score is like I, I can't I take it. Yeah. I can't take it. Yeah. And and I think it also next to Hans Zimmer's uh next to Hans Zimmer's like wah bass scores of like <laughs> Inception, The Dark yeah. Knight, and you know, Man of Steel. I think Mad Max Road, Junkie XL score, or Tom Hulkenberg now, I guess he did a little rebrand on on his, you know, score work. I think that that made a lot of modern film score. Just like the big drums, you know, the the, the pulse of it. I think that Mad Max Fury Road might have one of, might be one of the most impactful movie scores of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd have to agree. It it was so revolutionary in a way because even the scale in the movie, when you're seeing those scenes in the desert and that giant yeah. car is coming through with the guy playing guitar, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. You just can't. Help it's so smile. memorable. It's so great to look at. I mean, that's the thing about this movie. There's 
there's not a lot of movies I remember for be just the cinematography alone and the color. I mean, it is just incredible. And it, I'm, it's unfortunate I didn't get to see it in theaters yeah. because it, it's just... I, yeah, I, I, I saw it with my dad um, when I was 13. And I remember the ride home and we were just like, how do you, how do you ride in a car? like a normal person after you see Mad Max Fury Road, you know, you're just sucked into this. Yeah. You just want velocity. Start running over people. And so then you leave the theater. You're like, what do you do now? You know, life is like boring, you know? Uh, But you you know, Mad Max, as much as you say the cinematography, a a lot of that also is just the world. You have all these like little glimpses into these different family members. Mm. There's almost like a, a Game of Thrones type thing going mm-hmm. on with like the bullet farmer and obviously a Morton Joe and having all these brothers. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just like also this, this great tension to it. Uh, you kind of understand a Morton Joe, you know, he just wants a normal child, you know, he's yeah. ha- he has all these kids and he might love them, but they're not perfect. Okay. Even the big guy, he's like, yeah. dude, he's ginormous. But Morton Joe's like, you're stupid. I want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's not like one of the most evil movie villains you're going to see, but he's so memorable. His performance is fantastic. And, and what supports it too, I think is the costume design. Yeah. It's in so film. interesting. Is like unique. You know, it's a good departure from what the original films did, but also it, uh, it honors them. I, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, Morton Joe has played, I forget the actor's name, but he's played by the actor who played the villain in, in the original Mad Max from 1979. Mm-hmm. And uh, I agree. The costuming, you don't really see things like it. No. I mean, and part of that is just the cheapness of the original movies, like Road Warrior, uh, Lord Humongous, uh, mm-hmm. just has like a hockey mask on, you know, and yeah. it's because, well, what can we afford? A hockey mask. Yeah. And so to see George Miller make a... Uh, a full-on Mad Max movie like this is his complete vision. Yeah. It it was awesome, and in you know we're we're gonna talk about a, another movie later on that has troubled filming, but Mad Max Fury Road. People were making that movie, especially Tom Hardy, and they were like, "What? What is this? Yeah. Like, is this is this gonna work?" And then the fact that it did, it was nominated for Best Picture. It as much as I love Spotlight, Spotlight is another one of my favorite movies of the last like ten years. Mad Max should have won. I. I stand by that. Yeah. It yeah. Everybody loved it. Uh, yeah, I mean it was it it was such a it it's just fun. It's fun. There's no other word to describe it. It's fun. Um the characters I think for me are a little less memorable. I think Nicholas Holt really sure. really stood out. I mean he was excellent. He had the best arc in the movie because obviously Tom Hardy is Max. He's he's set in stone. Well, he's the western. He's the western. Yeah. He's the Clint Eastwood of the movie. But I mean, he did a good performance as that kind of role. Charlize Theron, her character did have a good arc, but to me, she's not too memorable in the film. I I mean, I think most people disagree with you uh, because number one, Furiosa is getting a spinoff. Yeah, we'll I see mean, if that ever happens. We're not sure. It's, it's technically happening, but you never you never know. Yeah, I mean that'll be an anticipated prequel i mean i hope it happens and i know uh, anya taylor joy is playing younger furiosa so which we'll is see. weird casting i i don't yeah. know how i feel about that um yeah because charlie's theron just had this real uh physicality to her performance and it like yeah. i was shocked like yeah. you you know you you have a lot of uh female characters in action movies now do the whole like black widow mm-hmm. like uh you know flippy around the body do a takedown flip over them and <laughs> yeah. then choke them but you know, Furiosa had this like pure, 
like I'm just gonna punch you in the yeah. face. It like was, it was a level of grittiness. Yeah, it wasn't acrobatics. Yeah, you don't see in a lot of like female action characters. I agree. I mean, there is a lot of flipping. There's a lot of like ridiculous action that exists in especially Marvel movies. Other movies too kind of copy that formula. But yeah, she had a level of grittiness that even stood over Max. I mean, it was totally. Well, it she was beat just him multiple violent. Times. It was brutal, and, she, and I mean, her character is endearing in that aspect, even though she's not, you know, she's not she's not joking every five right. seconds. She's not, you know, trying to... I don't think she tells a single joke. I don't, yeah, <laughs> no jokes, no jokes. Yeah, the movie doesn't many, need jokes. Well, the only character who's slightly funny is, well, you have the external humor of, wow, this world is crazy, yeah. and I laugh, you know, but there's no active jokes no. in the movie no. i i don't think that the writing there's never a line of dialogue where you're like ha, 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 that that was funny you know it's just you're so taken with this world you just you're just like down for like the explosions dude have a lovely <laughs> yeah. day like you're just in it yeah. i i gotta say i would i wish you didn't take this from me i know um, because i love the movie uh but with that I'll, I'll go to my number three, which I don't, you know, like as much as as your number four. So, so we kind of have a problem here. Uh, but my number three is a newer film, and I was shocked that I had it because I didn't originally have it because I hadn't I hadn't seen it at the time. Uh, but my number three is Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, and I don't think this is a, a perfect movie. It, it's number I think they changed it recently, but it, it was number one on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the scientific. Uh, movie review app obviously it's always correct um and and i have i have problems with this movie i think it's slightly too full and, and it's more muddled than the original movie but talk about a great four quadrant movie a movie that appeals to everybody i mean except for 80 rolls no nobody's grandma is like hey let's go see the new spider-man no, where no. characters glitch off and on but you know pre 60 year old if you're not watching across the spider-verse what the hell are you yeah, doing it's just it's a feat in terms of animation that they, I mean, the different uses of animations in scenes. I know Never been done before. Uh, one in particular, I think the one that most people are talking about is Hobie's character. Right. Um, who's played Daniel Kaluuya's Dan- character. Yeah. They, they shot it in a different frame rate. Yeah. And which, just, which they did for the first film, but this one yeah. has so many more characters of different worlds. And in the movie is smart to use the different universes as different frame rates. It's yeah. a subconscious uh, you know, it works on it works on your subconscious to tell you, wow, they are not from here. Yeah, you know, and it's brilliant. And they start you off immediately with with them fighting the Renaissance Vulture, which was just such an excellent choice. Incredible to have yeah. as the first villain of the film. And then also the score, man. Whenever Spider Man twenty ninety nine comes oh. in, just that that little music cue, Daniel Pemberton. Uh, you know, we'll be talking about the Oscars later this year. Uh, I think Cross Spider Verse. I, I think similar. It will have a Mad Max thing. It will. I think it will yeah. be nominated for Best Picture. It will not win Best Picture, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it will win Best Score. I think Daniel Pemberton has been working in the industry for a long time, mm-hmm. and I, I think that he's gonna win. It's it's so good. It's so unique. I mean, that's the thing Crazy that sets unique. it sets it apart from anything else, because the themes, the themes for the characters, like you said, twenty ninety nine, Gwen's theme. Super good. It's excellent. And it's cool because I, I don't. I think movies don't utilize uh, light motifs as much mm-hmm. as they used to. You know, we were just talking about Star Wars, but think about the MCU. How many like themes can you hum from those 
what is it, 30, 31 I movies now? There's got to be 40 now. It's nah, terrible. Come on. It's terrible. There's, there has 40. to be. It's pretty close. I'm pretty sure it's just 30. I don't know. I, don't know. I think you should believe We me. don't watch all I of think them. You should believe. I, all I've terrible. seen them all. <laughs> so, That's my I, I don't love them, but uh, you no. know, I've seen them all. Uh, I'm a slave to the to the corporate. I'm, I'm a corporate show. We all know yeah. this. Um, but yes, yeah, Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse. And I, and I love that it, it's a great family movie in the way that, number one, a big part of the movie is parenting. If you're a parent, you must go see this movie. It's all mm-hmm. about the different ways you parent your child. It's about, you know, accepting your children as, as being different people, yeah. which is a very important thing. And and I and I think that we live in a time uh, that that theme is very important too, because you've had so many uh, movies acknowledge that everything everywhere just acknowledge that uh, Turning Red did. You know, you're having all of these uh, four quadrant movies come out that are acknowledging. That children are different from their parents and they're going to do different things and that is okay. And, and, it, yeah. and it's a brilliant idea to have in a children's movie. And then on the side of children who go see the movie, a big part of Across Spider-Verse is loneliness. Mm-hmm. And what emotion are kids feeling the most nowadays? They're freaking lonely. Yeah. Social media has fucked us up. I mean, they bring it through the whole movie. And especially, I it's think you, you said this before. I mean, when he gets into the spider society and there's just a million Spider-Men all around him, he's still feeling lonely. Yeah, and it, it's, so, it's a terrible irony. It's, terrible. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, and you feel that sympathy for Miles, you know, whereas in the first movie, I mean, it was endearing, but in this movie, they really nail it down that he is just going through a rough time yeah. with every person that he's trying to communicate with even when he's trying to kind of uh, get back to a friendship with Gwen after however so long it's been I mean there's still an element of they're not connecting you know yeah. because she's got her own thing she's doing so then when he gets right. introduced she's on a to, mission she's on a mission and when he gets into that society which is just awesome but I have problems with that which I think we, we well let's not get into spoilers but I think we both agree that the Easter eggs were slightly overbearing. Yes. And especially yes. some of the, you know, we talked about different styles, mm-hmm. uh, but there is one particular style um, <laughs> that is not really style because it's live action. Live action is utilized in the movie. And every live action thing in uh, across Spider-Verse um, is not good. It's not good. It's not meant to be yeah. there. I mean, one one obviously was the uh, was standout-ish, which I won't spoil, but... The two for me, yes. It's... It, yeah. It just... It felt like very... I don't want to say Looney Tunes, but almost it's like it was just... It was so wacky well, to me, when I just, you saw it. It felt cynical, it, Sony, we want you to acknowledge that we've made other movies. Yeah. You know yeah. It was just, it and it's was, like, we know that you made these movies. You don't need to, you yeah. don't need to tell us. I mean, know? you knew that they put that in there from the beginning probably, but it did, it felt so off when you saw it and it's right in your face, especially, especially the, for one, the character. first big one, yes. the conversation that the spot has with somebody. I was just like, do I want to be reminded of this movie? Oh I don't yeah, think so. yeah. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot about that scene. Yeah, because it's it's, and it's just, like a minute long. It's almost a minute. It's it, too long. It's it's you know, and and we can't say Sony's done great with all of the uh, Spider Man esque uh, villains. I know they just announced Craven the Hunter. Well, apparently that's looking pretty good too. Yeah, I mean, and it's it it does it, it, it's rated R. It's right. Yeah, but so, but for adults. But when you're inserting it in a Really, it's a. I mean, it's a kids' movie. Correct. <laughs> it just does. It feels off. It, I don't like it. Whereas they had some um, 
different, let's just say different styles of animation, especially when they're first introducing the other multiverses. I won't, I don't want to spoil it, but it is a stop motion section. Yeah, let's say it's that. incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. And it's so much fun. And it's probably the best joke yes. in the movie. Yes. Just the sting of that scene. And the movie's funny. There's just so many like little uh, lines that could be throwaway, but the way that the actors handle it, it's just, it's so much funny. It, you, you're just like, you're constantly surprised by how much you're laughing because it's not like big laughs. Mm-hmm. It's just so many little laughs yeah. that you realize that you're constantly smiling. Yeah. And yeah, it's there's, awesome. There's never there's never a moment where I felt this movie was dragging. I mean I mean maybe a little bit, but I, I, I think if anything to to say I, I think the beginning of the third act, you are kind of just saying, um, okay, I get it now. Now now pay this off and it takes too long paying it off. But, but it that's does, it. But it does pay it off. And it pays us off. It pays well. off just amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure that I I totally love the big cliffhanger um with the character reveal mostly because I totally saw that coming and I I think it's kind of a lazy way to take multiverse stories but uh maybe we'll get into that one day. Yeah, uh, we'll, you, know. you know. I mean <laughs> I I I think uh to leave it on a cliffhanger. I think it worked pretty well because it's, you don't see a lot of movies do that anymore. I don't no, I don't hate that it uh was a cliffhanger because I anticipated a cliffhanger. I just um Wish that there was slightly more of a thematic wrap up. Sure, you know. Sure, I mean, but I, I think it, like I said, it's it's something you don't see a lot in movies nowadays, as far as like hard cliffhangers go, especially in kids' movies. You well, yeah, don't, you don't see it a lot, and well, I think the kid won't remember it. The kid won't remember it because he's you know eight, but yeah. it's still great. I mean, it's for someone who is more accustomed to watching movies it is it is very very good well you know and and it's kind of bad that we're insulting the intelligence of children because that's why i love this movie it doesn't insult children it says to children you're smart you know what this movie's getting out Mm -hmm. love it uh across spider-verse i it's my favorite movie of the year so far i would be surprised if it's not my favorite of the year by the end uh but phil what what, what's your number we're going to talk about a uh well not a children's movie um, that being Apocalypse Now, which is, it's an interesting film because I only uh, watched this recently and I kind of had a false perception of it going into it because all I had heard was, oh, it's 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 a war movie, but it's an anti-war film. This is so... Has there ever been a pro-war movie? So Let's be real. different. Well, that's true. There, <laughs> I mean, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but this movie is so impactful. It's so haunting. You know, and the performance is given by Martin Sheen. Yes. And um, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando are just yeah, Robert Duvall. Great excellent. cast. A great cast. Now, while I think some of the elements of the movie are a little on the nose, especially I, I totally think, I think Robert Duvall's character, while I love the scenes that he's in, it could be a little bit. Well, and he invented an archetype. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and his scenes have been parodied. Sure. Many times. Same yeah. with the Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that war movies, uh, they've, you know, staked their claim in parody territory. And I think Apocalypse Now, I mean, uh, anytime you see an explosion in a movie, what do you think of? You think of Apocalypse Now. You know what I'm saying? And I, I don't think I love Apocalypse Now as much as you do. Granted, I haven't seen this movie since I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apocalypse Now is one of those movies that, okay. Everybody loves this. It's Francis Ford Coppola. I had just watched the first two Godfathers, mm-hmm. and it's like I I went into it and I 
I technically didn't know what it was because it's not really a war movie, no, right? No. It's a political thriller in some ways. Yeah. Uh, especially the the second hour of the movie. I mean, it is a it has elements of a cat and mouse game. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. It's a it's a yeah. scary movie. Yeah. I mean, when you're getting into the latter half, especially when you reach Marlon Brando's, let's say, I mean, cult essentially. Totally. I mean, it is it's it is very scary. I mean, yes. you get you get a lot of horror elements in that scene, but I think the thing that works is the supporting cast. You know, because totally. Martin Sheen's and great. everybody, and it introduced so many people. It did, yeah. But Martin Sheen, you know, he gave a good performance. I mean, he gave someone who who was he's been through it, but yeah. he has to get put through another, you know, through the ringer again right. with a new set of guys who mm-hmm. are fresh to everything, and that I think is the best element of the film is you're seeing it through his eyes but it's also it's just terrible what's happening to these guys throughout the whole film yeah i i i agree it's very ensemble mm-hmm. um and and visually it's just incredible you know so much work was put into making this movie and you can tell i mean oh. it's just it, it, it's amazingly it's shot. astonishing it, it's amazingly shot and i mean the difficulty um in filming that they had in the philippines to come out with something that looks so incredible is uh it's a feat. It's a feat. <laughs> yes. It's definitely a feat. I mean, I know they had like a, a civil war going on yeah. when they were Crazy. filming a, a anti-war movie. I mean, that's like perfect. Yeah, and just in it, you know, I think a lot of war movies tell the, the the same story from their filming, but this movie especially, just the idea of having so many cameras running, so much coverage. Coverage yeah. in war movies is crazy. As much as I don't love uh war cinema, I'd say I'm totally impressed by it. Yeah. Every time I watch a movie, I'm impressed. Now, does it go that extra step? I'm not sure. Uh, but Apocalypse Now, I think does. I mm-hmm. like I said, I was 14, and so I don't. I don't think that I grasped some of the concepts. I actually, I wanted to rewatch it before we did this podcast, but it wasn't streaming anywhere, which was kind of weird to me. Uh, so I wasn't able to rewatch it. But I remember really liking it. Uh, Obviously, you have more of a, con- a connection. It's surprising to me that you hadn't watched it until yeah, recently. Yeah, I had uh, I had watched the Godfather film, similar to you, and then watched Apocalypse Now. And it was... I, I had kind of gone into it hearing that it wasn't that great from really? some people. Yeah, I had, I had had some people tell me that it was, oh, it's okay. You know, it's not as um, good as the Godfather films. Which, which I agree. I agree with. But they really went and said, this is not good. Yeah, you're not going to like it. But, it, I mean, it... The the note it leaves you on at the end of the film is just incredible. It's and very for, stark, very cool. For Coppola to film the local tribes yeah. sacrificing a cow at the end of the movie is such a crazy choice when you think about it. It's great, but ending. then it works. It yeah. just works. I mean, you know, and Marlon Brando's performance is just haunting. But I think it helped that he was in the state of mind. Oh yeah, that he was in as a person at the time. I mean, it was which he was in a state of mind for uh, uh, twenty years of his twenty life. years, <laughs> but he was like reaching, you know, complete insanity. But yes, he's still great. He's still great then. Yes, uh, it's a it's a memeable movie, you know, with Flight of the Valkyries. It's 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 a movie that you can look at it from almost all angles, and it works. Mm-hmm. I I don't I don't think about this movie as much as I I think some people do. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad it's your number three. Yeah. Uh, so now let me talk about my number two. Because um, I don't think I cry more at a movie. And I don't think that I enjoy crying more at a movie 
than E.T., the extraterrestrial. And I think it's cool because, you know, you might you might be saying, wow, these are kind of unconventional picks. But we're about to go into a Spielberg fest, okay? Because if one filmmaker represents the summer for me, it's Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. And, and Steven Spielberg, obviously, is very known for... Um, blocking he's great at delivering information that's the thing that i love about spielberg his, his screenplays uh, he's not a writer uh but you know the screenplays that he works with mm-hmm. might not be the best sometimes right but the way that he tells a story with the camera i think it is unmatched okay and and that might be a hot take in some uh more high and mighty circles but it's true yeah i mean and and i agree i agree with that but for et I don't like it as much as you. I don't know. It just didn't. It now, granted, <sighs> I didn't have a great memory of it as a kid. He hates it. He hates that opinion. But I, I think it's it is a good film. It's a good film. It's got an amazing score that really supports it every step of the way, especially in the ending. Totally. I mean, the fact that the the, the like fourteen minute track, yeah. uh, you know, the chase is blood pumping. I listen to it all the time. It's yeah, great. the chase is is incredible, and the fact that John Williams was writing the score to that ending, and Steven Spielberg filmed it or set it around the score for that end shot, and it works just perfectly. Yeah, that's how you know when end. you've made a. A professional partner for life. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they work so well together. And it's got good comedy. It's just, it's, it's funny. funny. It's a funny movie. Yes, I I, I, I have problems with E.T. You know, I think the my personal connection to this movie is so strong. And, and let me talk about that real quick. I, the, the second hour of E.T., it is constant tears, okay? <laughs> uh, number one, the first flight, whenever, you know, they're, you know, going to go set up the first E.T. phone home device. Uh, I just cry because the score, like you said, is just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But then whenever E.T., um, you know, the phone home device doesn't work. And so E.T.'s, you know, is over by like the the gutters or whatever. And he's like, you know, he's all pale and sickly. And Elliot is like, uh, tells his brother, go find him. Go find him. And the brother who was initially not all about E.T. just goes he doesn't he think twice about it yeah he gets on that bike the score it it you know as, as a person who has a very strong relationship with uh, you know my brothers um i get very emotional and and in this family dynamic it you know it's a it's a family of divorce which of course steven spielberg is very close to um semi-autobiographical in some mm-hmm. ways uh and you really get that personal touch uh it brings me to tears. And then especially whenever E.T. dies, as a kid, my parents will still tell you to this day the word that they used to describe my state whenever E.T. died was inconsolable. You could not tell me that he was going to be revived because I was crying. It yeah. didn't matter what you said. I was violently convulsing, crying to E.T.'s death, which he would soon be resurrected. <laughs> yeah, but it's... and that And that's probably kind of speaks to maybe a reason I, I'm not too much of a fan of that area of the movie as well because it's it's so dramatic. And when you see it yes. as a kid... Which is it, a it Spielberg is, thing. When you see it as a kid, like you said, I mean, that's the only scene I really remembered as a kid was just being traumatized. Crazy. It's so traumatizing. <laughs> and I mean, the fact they're both 
in the hospital beds. They're all hooked up. I mean, they're being like, you know, not operated on, but they have doctors all around them. It's, it is completely. Yeah, with the masks. Yeah. And it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, you yeah. don't want to go to the doctor. And just the initial shed scene, very <laughs> like, scary. Steven Spielberg, I you know, my number one pick uh, might be I, the reason why I love that movie is because of mm-hmm. its horror elements. And I love the the slight horror elements in E.T. I, mm-hmm. yeah, the shed scene. Uh, I think just like, even the way that it shoots, uh, you know, the adults, you know, you just have the keys jingling and, you know, yeah. the car's like, you know, you're like scared of these humans, you know what I'm saying? And so whenever they come in with the spacesuits, like as a kid, I was like, holy crap, it's, this is scary. It's, and you know, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And he was originally supposed to make it a horror film. I know it was after Close Encounters of the Third Kind and he was really feeling that that was the next step, but. Well, he did Raiders after as well. But. Yeah. Coming out at that time, the fact that he chose, you know, a, a family story, really, where it came out in the same month as The Thing, Blade Runner, Tron, all these other sci-fi movies that kind of were, I don't want to say run of the mill, but they uh, they they had their own good things about them. But this was well, just... Well, they're very culty as well. Yeah, this is they're culty. Broad... This was impactful yeah. when it came into the theaters, which is why it just blew everything in. Yeah, it was the highest the grossing until uh, Tim Burton's Batman in 89. Mm-hmm. So it, it held the title for seven years. And and I think you can tell that Steven Spielberg fell in love with horror uh, because he produced Poltergeist yeah. um, around the same time. And some would say, you know, that he directed that movie. You know, that's a very popular uh, mm-hmm. kind of cinematic rumor. Who knows if it's true? We'll never find out because Steven Spielberg will never tell us, No, uh, which is a shame. But a Steven Spielberg, make another horror movie. I know that you're kind of obsessed with making these big, long-ass, sentimental movies, but make a horror movie, please. It would be great. Yes. Uh, Okay, so I love E.T. There are a few movies that impact me as much as that film. But, uh, Phil, give us another Spielberg gem. What's your number two? This this film. Now, this film I only watched recently. Because of who? Because (laughs) of Leighton. Because it was kind of a, a stolen pick from his list. It was. It was in my. It was in my top five, and then he felt so strongly about it that I said, "You can have it." Yeah, I mean, I saw it in his list, and I'm like, you know what? I had never seen Steven Spielberg's Jaws, and when I watched it, I mean, it was incredible. So it good. was incredible because I went into it expecting just kind of I don't want to say like just a typical horror esque film, but then that first scene in the movie is so well shot and just horrifying. I mean, it is well, horrifying. And, and it's very, um, just the kids are great. Like they're kind of a dumb teen acting yeah. is like really believable. Yeah. And so whenever one of them dies, you're like, holy crap, this movie went there. I mean, when the sun's rising over that, I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's a unique just scene for any horror film, obviously. I mean, it, it set the standard. I mean, we're getting so many shark movies now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But nothing as oh, good is as it, this is film. 47 meters down not as good as Jaws? Is that not? No. That's I, not that caliber? I mean, it's it's close, but... Mandy Moore isn't isn't Roy Schneider? The is Meg, that, the Meg no. 2, maybe? Well, that's... I mean, that's a different league. I mean... And it's a bigger shark. You know, if we made top five blockbusters after the Meg to the Trench, I, I think we'd have a different list. We would, you know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Jason Statham, come on, he, he could beat the Jaws shark pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's, you know, he's relatively close in size. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this film is was just haunting, I've, scary, so well shot. But I do have some issues with it. I know you have some issues. Yeah, with it well. um, I'm glad you loved it. 
Um, because obviously I do too. It was in my list as well. Uh, the third act is slightly too long. I think it takes a little too long to kill the shark. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that goes to show what I want out of my movie though, because I went to go see this movie at the, um, I'd seen it uh, multiple times, you know, on TV and shit, you know, cause uh, I was, I, so I really liked it, but then I went to go see it in the IMAX mm -hmm. and I was shocked by how people didn't really know what this movie was. People were on their phones yeah. and I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why I wasn't mad because this isn't what you would think it is. It is very dialogue heavy. Mm -hmm. There are long monologues. My, my favorite scene of the movie has nothing to do with the shark. Uh, it, in fact, I think Jaws is best whenever it's just the characters hanging out on the beach. Yeah. You know, that's what I watch Jaws for. And so, you know, whenever they're all arguing after it's like, should we close down the beach? That's the big question of the movie. Should we close down the beach? Uh, it's a question of responsibility. And so, you know, our main character, Chief Brody, goes home and he's like, he's like rubbing his face. You know, he's like moving his hair around. He's like totally stressed. Mm -hmm. And then his son comes up to him and mimics him. He like covers his eyes. He's moving his hair around. And that moment is so beautiful to me because it just goes to show that Chief Brody is thinking to himself, people are looking up to me. My son is looking up to me. And do you know what I have to do? I have to do what's right. I don't care if this town relies on this beach monetarily. I, I get that it's a beach town, but we're going to close down this beach and I'm going to team up with these two guys who are kind of crazy. Let's be real. They're crazy people. Yeah. And we're going to kill this shark. Yeah. It's about doing what's right. It's about responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think in the midst of it, in some ways, it almost works as a, a COVID thing in some ways. It, I know that's kind of weird. And I just thought of that, but it kind of does uh, yeah. as, as far as responsibility and, you know, shutting things down to go. It, it's a, it's a brilliant movie. And, and while it might be slightly too slow in sections, I love it. It's great. It's great. And, and to kind of go along with your point of, it it's it really shines when the characters are talking together, especially in the scene where they're they're waiting at night in the boat yes. and they're about to hunt that shark. They start going over the story of the USS Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. That is so dark, emotional, but the fact that they bond, it's the bonding of the Incredible. three characters at the end that really sets up that final I, I quote unquote battle yeah, that yeah, they yeah. have with jaws which completely works when you when it starts destroying the boat i mean i was terrified yeah you're into it yeah it, you're so into it's it it's slightly that point. too long because there are almost there are almost too many steps to, to killing the shark yeah and the movie does end slightly too abruptly i would have liked i i never say this because i think that epilogues are kind of overrated in 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 the cinematic form but i would have liked an epilogue for jaws i would have liked to see chief brody with his family i would have liked to see you know, what everybody's doing on this town. I would have liked to see that. And so whenever the movie just ends with, you know, kind of like a smirk, like, haha, we killed the shark. And, you know, they're in the, what would you, the wreckage yeah. of the ship, yeah. you know. I was like, we could go an extra scene here just to get mm -hmm. a, a, a better bow. But as far as problems go, that that's the biggest thing. Yeah, there's have. not much wrong with it. I mean, it's like, like you said, I did not know what this movie was going to be. And when I was done with it, it just, it, I mean incredible experience watching it and I, I wish i could have experienced it in imax well phil i must say um i'm just so happy that i have such influence on you yeah i mean you you don't have that influence on me um, he's, he's halfway inspired uh, me but his opinion would you have watched Jaws if i had uh, i would have at some point uh, eventually yeah yeah but um you know you've never said something to me that made me want to watch a movie well <laughs> I, uh, 
I'm gonna have to work. On I mean, that. especially when Dunkirk's your number five, but that's okay. Uh, we we moved on from Dunkirk. Enough about Dunkirk. Oh. Uh, okay, so I love your number two. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, probably top fifty. I gotta say, there's quite a few Spielbergs in my top fifty, uh, but in my top ten, next to E.T., is my number one summer blockbuster of all time. This is the movie that, as soon as it turns summer o'clock, right, which is not a real thing. But it turns summer o'clock. We're going to make that a thing. It Put works. that shit on a t-shirt. Summer I, o'clock, baby. Nobody's going to do that. Well, it's summer o'clock. You know what movie I think of first? It's Jurassic Park. Okay. I, this movie is perfect. Is it? Is it perfect, Phil? Uh, I don't think it's perfect. Wait, we need to cut you off here. I don't um, think it's perfect. <laughs> but I'll agree. It is, it's, it's an excellent film. I mean, especially in the choice of how they filmed it. Especially with it the dinosaurs, Spielberg, yeah. it's Spielberg. But the choice of CGI over stop motion in this film—I mean, uh, I, I can't imagine. It broke. I can't imagine the format. <laughs> I can't imagine seeing it in stop motion. It remade motion the now. format. It remade the format. And and you know that is often a criticism of Steven Spielberg: uh, the idea that you know the Rat Pack, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, uh, Coppola, Scorsese, mm-hmm. that they. You know, even more than their artists, except for Scorsese and Coppola, because I think people view them as more as artists, but especially with Spielberg and Lucas, some people view them as less artists and more businessmen. And that's technically true. Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg and George Lucas change the way that movies are marketed. They change the way that movies are made. They're more obsessed with technology than anything yeah. else. And I, and whenever I hear the word technology, I kind of shut down. And that's why Steven Spielberg is so impressive to me. He makes these technological marvels, and I give into it. Mm-hmm. He just makes these movies that I give into. And Jurassic Park, um, number one, as, as I kind of alluded to beforehand, it's a scary movie, and I love that. Yeah, as a kid, yeah. I love that. I mean, the fact that he chose such excellent scenes to, especially when the T Rex comes in, so it's good. The sound, oh, it's yeah. dark. The sound, everything works with it. And his use of CGI, but also the fact that he did have practical effects on set. I mean, it, it worked. Everything looked great. His choice of lighting, especially when he had the T Rex come in, when he had the Velociraptors later, his choice of using it in darker lighting. So you're not seeing as many of the details on those dinosaurs. That's the reason a lot of the CGI still works today. It I works mean, today because of that. I just had uh, a friend tell me the other day that uh, you know they thought that CGI hasn't gotten better since Jurassic Park, and I totally disagree. I mean, technically, that's just a false statement, but I know what they mean because the way that because half you know half of VFX is is how it looks mm-hmm. right, but the other half is how you film it initially. Uh, I always go back to Gareth Edwards' Godzilla 2014, right? That movie might not have the best special effects, but because Gareth Edwards shoots it in such a powerful way, it looks incredible. It works. And I think I think Steven Spielberg kind of invented that. You know, it's not just that the T-Rex, it's not, it's not just that the CGI of the T-Rex looks great, it's the fact that he shoots it to make it look great. And and I and I love it. And also Jurassic Park thematically, it's just so rich. Um, I think obviously my favorite scene in the movie, once again, it's not the dinosaurs, it's characters talking in a room. That's what I like in movies. And it's, you know, the scene where, you know, it's it's the question of uh, you know, you asked if you could, but like, should you have? You know what I'm saying? And that's just the question of technology in general, you know. Uh and and I think that 
Jurassic Park more than any other list that that we've talked about today. I think it's the most intellectually driven in a weird way because it's a movie about dinosaurs. But I think it it makes me think the most, especially in this age of AI. It's like, yeah, we can, but right. what are we? Should you? What are we doing? Yeah, really, we're making ourselves obsolete. Yeah, in in Jurassic Park, it's not about making humans obsolete. It's about making humans the lesser beings because mm-hmm. you're making these animals that will kill you easily. Yeah. They could just destroy you. Yeah, uh, but you get it because you know Hammond is such a great character. And the performance uh, by Attenborough is just uh, so kind, yet um, has a a nice ignorance to it because that is the character. He's an ignorant character, but you get it. It's like he he loves dinosaurs, and you love him, yeah. even though he's kind of dumb. Yeah, I you mean, know? he's kind of crazy for doing what he did. I mean, like you said, it's like, should you do it? It's it's driven around the business aspects of it. You know, I mean, should they do it for just making money? Yeah, they don't understand the gravity of the situation, and that's the best thing about the film. Well, in in the movie, you know, does give into that conversation of like, they're the people who are giving Hammond money, are in it for mm-hmm. the money, but Hammond himself technically has more pure motivations because he he's kind of a Steven Spielberg. He wants to see these dinosaurs. He's obsessed with the spectacle, yeah. and I get it. I, I want to see the dinosaurs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, when Jurassic uh, World came out, Colin Trevorrow's and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character is like, people are tired of dinosaurs. They want something new. I'm like, no, we're not. I love dinosaurs. I, yeah. What are you talking about? It's just awesome to see. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, there's the, the, when you're first introduced, obviously, I mean, it's to the, to the bron- brachiosaurus? Bron- bronchiosaurus? Something. Something. We know no something dinosaurs. I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's magical. It's got that, it's just, it's a wow factor that's not seen in a lot of movies. And, and it score, takes its time. It takes its time. Yeah, it does. It takes a while to get there, mm-hmm. which is probably um, one of the things that I was kind of surprised with. Yeah, if you don't jump film, into it. Yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're not immediately in it, um, even though I, I guess they do have the scene with the Velociraptor in the beginning, but it does set you up. That's true. It does set you up for that kind of... Uh, Yes. Scary scene later, which is so well done. So well done. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's very quotable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we got Dodson here. Uh, obviously, Newman back at it again. Hold on to your butt, Samuel Jackson. You know, uh, it's just a great movie. I think about Jurassic Park all the time. Um, I think about Jurassic Park uh, more than the things that actually matter in life. Um, it's kind of sad. And, uh, you know, you don't have to point that out. Well, um, they're going to know this. Frankly, I don't, uh, I don't appreciate that energy. But, uh, Phil, you know my number one. It's Jurassic Park. It's in my top ten movies of all time. Let's hear your number one, and then let's fight about it. Yeah, because my number one interesting story to go along with it is my dad told me that back in, what year was it? What year did it come out? 1981. He went to the movie theater with his brother and his dad, and they went to go see Superman 2. But it was sold out. And back then, you know, you couldn't obviously check before going to a movie theater if it was sold out. So they're like, oh, well, what else are we going to see? And they're like, I don't know what this movie is. Let's go in. Let's watch it. It was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think they picked the better movie because it's just incredible. Okay. I think that uh, your dad might. um, He's insane. I'm not calling him an idiot, 
But uh, I am calling him. Uh, how, how do you not know Raiders? Yeah. It was a big deal. What, what's know. he talking about? I don't know. I mean, well, I guess. It is better than Superman 2, though. I mean, it obviously. is better than Superman 2. Yeah. But, you know, I mean. Some people might say the Richard Donner cut, but that's not even great. So shut up. That's another story. Yeah. But not everybody was on the internet, Layton. Not everybody was checking their phones on the latest movie news like you do. So. Do you think I do that? Yes, I never he does. do that. He does that all the time. <laughs> but this, this, this movie for me is personally my favorite Spielberg film. It's which, not even in my top 10. It's not in his top 10, which is so sick. <laughs> but I love Steve, I love Steven Spielberg. I, I would give this movie a B plus. Okay, so that's how much I love Spielberg. There's always a sense of spectacle. There's always a sense of drama, action at every scene. Every set piece that's set up is just incredible. It's one of his fastest paced films. It's a fast paced film. You're introduced to the character rather quickly. So well. And Alfred Molina's great in that opening scene. Love he, Alfred Molina. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. I almost had Spider-Man 2 on this list. I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Joel's better ones. But, but this film really achieves that wow factor that Spielberg is kind of known for. Because you have that, you have the set pieces that are set up through, obviously they go to the temple in the beginning. That's just incredible. And everybody knows it. Parodied. It's parodied. Yeah. It's incredible. But then you go to Nepal. You have the bar fight scene. Then you go Which to- is probably my favorite scene in the movie. Then... I, I think the relationship between Marion and Indy is never better in the film. And also that, as well, far as a gunfight goes, it's great. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the whole movie is fun. And it's fun. funny. It's, just it's a, not just fun. It's yes, funny. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's got the dramatics of it. But it also, it's just nonstop. It's fun yeah. the entire time. Yeah, the only time when it even slightly slows down is whenever, you know, Indy's in the the camps and then they're, uh, you know, trying to find mm-hmm. the arc. And then he, of course, has to do the little light trick. And you But know, it's still great. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, it looks... It's slow for like... It's slightly too slow for like five minutes. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. It looks great. I mean, it's... it's he he just he's, it's nonstop. It's nonstop. It's nonstop fun. Harrison Ford's great as the character, Incredible. and obviously, it's his best role. He loves the character. Um, we'll see how much we love the character in the final film, but that's not the story we're talking about. Tonight. Well, Harrison Ford is even pretty good in uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. In that yeah. movie, um, obviously, not a I favorite. feel like I'm being eaten by the ants in that film whenever I watch it. Oh. Even though Kate Blanchett is great. Yeah, she's good. She's a good villain in that. And and but you do have a good villain in Raiders of the Lost Ark and Balak. You do. I mean he is fantastic. Balak. Yes. He is the the antithesis to Indy. He's the it, rival. And he creates that uh I think that we see the archetype now a lot uh in in comedies like just the anti version of our character. Yeah. You know, Indy is the he's the responsible archaeologist who gives things to the museum, but Belloc, oh no, he's he's Give, in it for himself. Giving you know? it to the Nazis. Yeah, he's giving it to the Nazis because yeah. he goes where the money goes. Uh it's just great archetype. And I also love uh I forget the actor's name. He was in quite a bit of stuff, but you know, he's the guy who first, you know, gets his face melted off. He's got the glasses, you know, the the actual yeah. Nazi. A shocking, you know what I'm shockingly violent. Yeah. End for those characters, which is awesome. I mean, especially if you're if you're seeing that um, yeah. back in the day. I mean, that's like those are some crazy deaths. It looks great. It yeah. looks amazing. In, Still. In, in a scene with that character is uh, my me and my family. We laugh about the joke all the time. We like reference it all the time uh, alongside bad dates, which is, of course, an, an incredible line. But it's whenever he uh, he comes in, Marion is captured and she's like, uh, you know, kind of all tattered up. 
right? Or, or, or she's in her dress at the time, you know, that they give her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he comes in with like these nunchuck looking things. And you're like, oh shit, he's going to beat the hell out of her. But then he puts it together and it's a clothes hanger. It's, it's like, who thought of this? It's so funny. It's hilarious. It, it's it's hilarious. Princess Bride in some ways. I, you know, I, and that's maybe the best compliment you can say. It's like Princess Bride. It's, uh, it's a memorable film. It's a great character. Great score. I mean, one of the most memorable scores for a character, I think, that John Easily. Williams has created. I mean, Easily. it's amazing. It's not my, it's it's not not my cup of tea. It's not your favorite. But, and, and I would say that um, the thing that holds Raiders back for me is, number one, I think it's slightly too long. Um, it is nonstop. But sometimes I get exhausted, okay? That's just me, though. I know. I'm like an 80-year-old guy with heart yes. problems, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. We know this. Could I get through... Uh, the John Wick films a whole lot. No, I get tired. Um, you know, we know this. <laughs> it's debatable. Uh, you know, um, and also I don't feel, you know, Jurassic Park, I love the characters and I love the emotion at the end. You know, there's this great story about children and obviously technology and E.T., same thing, great family dynamics. Raiders of the Lost Ark, I don't really get that emotional connection, but I think that's the difference between you and me. I think I... You, you're, you're more uh, cinematically visual-minded than I am, while mm-hmm. I'm much more, I just want to be emotionally fulfilled, right? Yeah. And Raiders does that for me, but not as much as I wish it you, did. You cry a lot more than me, I think. Um, that is true, and that is a way to put it. Would I put it a different way? Um, how about, let's put it this way. I um, respect the human condition more than you and empathy is my prime aspect while you are a cynical piece of shit but but let's be honest he he feels for the human condition but not when it comes to escaping from the beaches of dunkirk he feels nothing for those correct uh those dunkirk people uh, uh, who cares yeah kenneth Branagh, get out of here Uh, blow up the docks blow up the docks um you know that's a good point maybe i'm uh Maybe I'm an emotional hypocrite. It could be. I'm not sure. But either way, I think this has been great. Even though your number one isn't quite as good as my number one. Okay. Uh, I think this is this is good. And and I think um I think it's good at showing the differences between you and me. You originally had Gladiator on this list. Um and I do not like Gladiator. That is one of my least favorite best picture winners of all time. I took it off because it's not perfect. It's a good film. And I he wanted it. Jaws on there. He I, stole Jaws from yeah, me. Yeah, I stole Jaws from him, to be fair. But a better pick than Gladiator. As much as I like it, as much as I like the characters in yeah. the film, Jaws is so much better. Yeah. You also, you, know, we, you had Mad Max on your list before mm-hmm. me, but we would have had that. Mad Max yeah. would have been my number three. Uh, so technically, this doesn't like completely represent ourselves, uh, especially me, because Phil has been uh, stealing my picks. Yes. Um, but I, I still like my list. Inside Out, is it my favorite movie ever? No. But it is very important to me, and I think it should be very important to the world. And it almost made a billion dollars. Good for that movie. What happened to Pixar doing well at the box office? We'll find out. Because Elemental um, is not. Not good. Um, Pretty bad. Yes. It. Enough of these metaphors for race in children's films. Um, do something else. I get yeah. it, but you know, try something else. It's boring. Zootopia did it, and I and it did it really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, give us Zootopia 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Yeah. Uh, do more animal films. Uh, but do not let the furries get their hands on it. Um, Please, for the love of God. The, the Pinterest for, Zoo- for Zootopia um, might be worse than the Battlefield of Dunkirk. Okay. 
That's uh, not something I would share looking up, but uh, I respect you for doing it. Um, I have, and I, you know, I've looked at it many times. Um, oh. Okay, uh, so on that note, thank you all for listening. This was the first episode of the Cutaway Podcast. Uh, you know, follow us on Letterboxd. They're in the description. Follow us on things. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Next time, we, we're not sure what we'll be talking about. Probably some more movies. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that I think that makes sense. Yeah, probably. Phil, does that make sense? Yeah, movies are cool. Okay, Phil, leave the audience with a piece of wisdom nuggets. Oh, wisdom nuggets. Um, Dunkirk is an excellent film. Don't let Leighton tell you that you're wrong. Keep your opinions. It's great. Um, it's on my list for a reason. I've decided to actually end the podcast with a wisdom nugget from me. Um, Dunkirk is perfectly fine, and I never want to watch it again. Great. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Have a good day.